I want to talk to you about God's promises to us when we fail. We've been in the series called I Promise, God's Promises to You and I. And I think all of us can relate to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the story of someone who had a colossal failure. And before we read the story, I just want you to think like this. Imagine that you're hiring someone and you know in advance this person is going to fail miserably at what you've called them to do, what you've hired them to do. You probably are like me. You wouldn't hire them. You wouldn't ask them to join your team. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did, the only omnipotent and the only one who knows everything, the only truly competent executive. He sponsors a man that's going to have a colossal failure and will deny that he even knows him. So let's pick up with this story. This is after Easter, after the resurrection. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come to. Now, fishing wasn't a recreational sport. This was how they made their living. They were fishermen. So Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come to, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Well, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellas. Have you caught any fish? Now, I need to stop right there because I can see my dad doing this. Anytime my dad saw somebody fishing, whether it was off the bridge or on the bank or the boat was close enough, he'd stop the truck and he'd roll down the window. How many of you remember when you had to roll down the window? You didn't have a button. And he'd roll down the window and he'd lean his head out the window and he says, are they biting? Have you caught anything today? And a lot of times, fishermen, they'd hold up their string of fish, or sometimes they'd just shake their head. So I can see my dad doing this. And I can imagine that this is just what fishermen did in that day. They wanted to know, were they biting? So Jesus, again, let's pick up there. He says, fellas, have you caught any fish? Well, no, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Remember another story like this in the Gospels? Well, then the disciple Jesus loved, which was John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work and jumped in the water and headed to shore. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Our Father, we love you. And Lord, this is a a subject that all of us, those online, those who are here today, Lord, those that in your sovereignty are going to listen later in the week or maybe months from now, God, they might just stumble upon this and they're listening today. You have a promise for us when we fail. Lord, you never give up on us. You never stop. Your love is always chasing after us. And so I ask you now in the name of Jesus Give us ears to really listen with. Help us to catch this like a football and run with it, Lord. Help us to receive your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I ask you this week that you would greet one another with the words that Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection, peace be with you. And remember, we talked about those words meant this, this word peace. It was the Hebrew word shalom that it meant the abundance of God, the blessings of God, the healing of God, the prosperity of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. It wasn't the absence of conflict. We would be grateful 
if somehow or another there was no more conflict in Ukraine today. We would be grateful if there was no conflict in Israel today where some have been attacking and killing innocent people. We would be grateful if there was no more conflict and violence in our cities. We would be grateful just for the absence of conflict, even though the Ukrainians would have to rebuild, even though families are burying their children and their loved ones in Israel today, even though last night probably another child was gunned down in a drive-by shooting in Detroit. It's just news we've come accustomed to, that we live with every day. But when Jesus says, peace be unto you, he's speaking about so much more than the absence of conflict. One of our members this week saw me and walked right up to me and said, Pastor, peace be unto you. And we began to laugh. And I replied, peace be unto you, because it's not the way we typically greet one another. But we knew what we were greeting each other with, what we were praying for one another as we shared that statement. When we say that, it's important that we remember, as we talked about last week with the promises of God, that we're reminding ourselves that we're extensions of the ministry of Jesus. That's what the book of Acts is all about. We're extensions of his love. We're extensions of his power. We're extensions of his mercy, of his grace. We're not extensions of condemnation. We're not extensions of bad news. We're extensions of good news. And we do this by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit using God's word to share and to minister to others. So I want to come now to this promise, especially for those that have failed, like me, you've had a colossal failure. A number of years ago, I was speaking to a very large camp in Florida, and a lot of people would have just given their right arm to have had this opportunity that I was speaking at. And I remember walking in the orange grove, and I was praying about some things that were really heavy on my heart that day. One of my good friends had had a colossal failure in his life. And because of his failure, he was beating himself up, he was down, he was discouraged, and I was trying to walk with him through this time. At the same time, I was dealing with some own personal issues of mine that I felt like I was a failure at, and God, why is this happening? God, what is going on? And at the time, I found myself wondering, was I disappointing people? Was I disappointing my wife? Would, would she even regret having been my, that she had married me? These are the kinds of things that attack us when we fail. We can lose our confidence. We can lose our edge. We can even lose sight of God's call upon our lives if we're not careful. But while I was walking in that orange grove that day, I can say this without any hesitancy. The Holy Spirit met me. It wasn't a audible voice, but it was just a sense in that orange grove in Florida that day where I could pray and cry and nobody could hear me. I felt the Holy Spirit's presence with me. Joshua 23, 14 came to mind. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me because it's such a true passage of Scripture. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true, and not a single one has failed. We know that. We believe that. But I really want that to get into your spirit. So would you read that out loud with me this morning? Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true, and not a single one has failed. Look at the person sitting beside you this morning and say, not a single one of God's promises have ever failed. Sally, not a single one of God's promises. Pat, not a single one of God's promises has ever failed you. Not a single one. We know this deep down in my hearts. And typically, failure is not usually about our knowledge. Typically, failure is not usually about our strategy. 
Failure is not even usually about our skill or experience. I, I've done this for a long time. I, I've sat on the boards of colleges. I've sat on the boards of, of businesses, of volunteer corporations and, and operations. So I think I have just a little bit of expertise to speak to this because the failures usually don't have anything to do with strategy, knowledge, skill, or experience. The people Jesus chose to lead his church, they, were, they had none of these things. They had no knowledge, they had no skill, they had no education. They didn't have a Facebook page, they didn't have a LinkedIn page, they didn't have a, a great network to work with. As a matter of fact, because they hung out with Jesus, they were pretty well hated and despised, and all of them except for John, all of them died a martyr's death. Every single one of them. So it's important to understand that if you measure your success, or if you measure your potential for success, if you measure your potential for success by knowledge, skill, education, experience, or your strategy for life, you're going to come away disappointed because God doesn't entrust his power to people who put their trust in that. There's nothing wrong with it. You want knowledge. I want my kids to have a good education. I want them to have good experiences. I want them to build a good network. But I've taught them, as Becky and I have learned, and I'm teaching you this morning, our confidence lies not in that. Our confidence lies in the promises of God. You see, every time I think about this, I have to remind myself that even though I do my best, sometimes I fail. Even though I do my best, sometimes I fail. Even though you do your best, sometimes you fail. How many of you will lift your hands and say, Pastor, that's true. I've done my best, but I failed at times. Could I see them? The rest of you are lying. Let's try it again. How many of you say, even when I've done my best, sometimes I failed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a true factor in all of our lives. And I think what happens is we overstress failure. We think that failure is fatal when it's not. We take and we look at the failure and we magnify our failures and we forget to look at God. The fear of failure is much worse than failure. People who are afraid of failure and in between the services, I switched on my phone because I, I have a friend who passed away, and I'm trying to stay in touch with their family and just see if I got a message from them. But all of a sudden, my phone just lit up with people who were texting me about this very thing of being afraid to fail and how it had kept them from so many opportunities. Fear of failure keeps us from trying. So if you don't ever try, you're a failure already. Can I say that again? If you don't ever try, you're a failure already because if you try to do something good for God, if you try to do something good for your family, if you try to do something good in your career, whatever you try to do, there are going to be times that you fail. James chapter 3 and verse 2 says, we all fail in many ways. Now just think for a moment, Peter's failure was absolutely colossal. He denied Jesus. And maybe you're in this room, or maybe you're watching online this morning, and there's been a time where you've had the opportunity to represent Christ, you've had an opportunity to minister in his name, but you've absolutely denied or you've acted like you've not known who Jesus Christ is. And there's always those times and those temptations. When I traveled, I never introduced myself as a pastor, I never introduced myself as a preacher. I always introduced myself when people asked me what I did when I traveled as a motivational speaker, which is a lot of what I did on campuses and universities and a lot of organizations that I spoke to. 
And pretty soon somebody would engage and, and we would talk about things that I knew people held in common who wanted to succeed in life or maybe had a child that they were trying to identify one of those five basic needs or five basic cries that every teenager has. And I would use that sort of to, to keep the conversation stimulated and eventually that opportunity would come up. Well, what do you base what you teach in? And that was my opportunity to share Christ with them and to share scriptures with them and to share part of my story with them. And you know, in all those years of traveling and 300 speaking events a year, 300 plus speaking events a year, I never found one time where somebody just immediately turned away when I acknowledged Jesus, when I acknowledged who Christ was and what he did in my life. People who even disagreed with me or sometimes people who wanted to argue. I remember one lady pulling out Dan Brown's book and says, have you read this? And I go, yes, I've read it, but I don't believe it. And, and history doesn't support it. Archaeology doesn't support it. And we had a great conversation there. You see, God gives us always opportunities where we can represent Christ, but sometimes we fail. Sometimes, like Peter, we go and Maybe think about how Peter did it. He swore, and you know, I don't want to swear, but he just used a bad word and said, I don't even know the guy, blankety blank. And of course, everybody knew Jesus didn't talk like that, so they probably just kind of said, Oh, yeah, he's definitely not one of those disciples. You know, how we act a lot of times when people fail reveals whether or not we're a passionate follower of Christ. You see, when I fail, I commit my failure to God's grace. That's what I love about the story of Peter, is that when Peter failed, even though he went back to his old life of fishing, when he heard that it was the Lord, now look at me, don't miss this, he ran to the Lord, he didn't run from the Lord. And we're always tempted when we fail, especially if it's a colossal failure, if it's a, especially if it's a sinful failure. We are always tempted to run from Jesus because we think Jesus would be ashamed of us or we think Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with us. But as soon as Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore to meet Jesus, Jesus greeted him and loved him. And what a fabulous conversation would later follow on. But that's not the point I want to deal with. I just want to deal with this point right now. When you fail, whether it's a sinful failure, whether it's a business failure, a marital failure, whatever it is, when you fail, don't run from Christ, run to Christ. So through the years, I've tried to look at what makes people fail? What are the main reasons that people fail? Here are five reasons that I believe that people fail. Number one is they fail to develop character. They fail to develop character, or what the Bible calls virtue. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, the Bible says the fruit of virtue is a tree of life. The way you live your life brings life to other people. It not only brings life to you, but those godly characteristics of love and peace and patience and kindness and so forth, those fruit of the Holy Spirit, they're not only life-giving to you, but they're life-giving to the people around you, your family, your colleagues, your subdivision, wherever you live. It's failure to humble ourselves. We live in a culture where we feel like we need to constantly be putting our name out in front of everybody. Maybe we've borrowed from the advertisers. I have a Facebook page, and I have a LinkedIn page, and I do what everybody else does, so I'm not criticizing this. I recently posted a picture of my grandsons that were home for Easter, and my daughter-in-law, and my wife, and, and, and we were all sitting on the sofa together, and it's a 
one, if you haven't seen it, go to my page, look for it. It's a beautiful picture of our family. And even though there's smiles and it's lovable, can I tell you the whole weekend wasn't like that? Because there were times that Papa had these kind of looks. Hands crossed, a pouty look on their face, because Papa didn't do something the way someone else wanted me to do it. You see, we only post the things we want other people to see. You don't want to see those other images, and, and yet we kind of begin to compare ourselves to what other people have on their Facebook page and go, their life is perfect. No one's life is perfect. It's important that we learn how to humble ourselves and be honest before God and before one another. I love the story. I alluded to this last week. I love the story of Jacob. When Jacob finally matured and quit battling with God, he not only humbled himself before God, but he humbled himself before his brother Esau that he had wronged. And so sometimes when we make a mistake, we need to learn how to apologize. The Bible says in Matthew 23 and verse 12, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thirdly is a failure to respect to others, to give them honor, to try to lift them up and encourage them, to try and point attention to them. It's, it's showing respect. I, I asked the first service this morning, when you leave, do everything you can to honor one another, to show respect. Open doors for your wife today. Do everything you can to show how much you love them. The Bible says in Romans 12, 10, be eager to show respect for one another. Now, when I think of eager, I think of a beaver. Now, we had a beaver on the pond, a family of beavers on the pond. It's just a fun thing to blow up a beaver dam. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but there are a few joys in life that will, will uh, compare to dynamite, a beaver dam, and just watching the whole thing blow to kingdom come. It's just fun. Maybe you don't want to do that, but I kind of lived for those kind of moments, you know? It's a vicarious way of getting out some frustration. But you know what would always happen? Those crazy beavers would survive, and they would come back, and they'd rebuild that dam. And, and there was a reason they were called eager beavers. They got right there at the creek where the water was flowing into the, to the pond, and they rebuild that dam all over again. And the Bible says we should be like those. When things blow up, when bad things happen, don't start feeling sorry for yourself, but still be eager to honor one another. And then fourthly, a failure to deal with pain. I shared with you how that in that orange grove, I had this moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit was really dealing with me, and I came out of that orange grove, and I knew I needed to get counseling because the things that were coming up in me, causing pain and causing fear, were going to cause me to make some bad mistakes because there was a part of what was going on where I felt like giving up. And so I, I went to see a counselor. God brought a great Christian counselor to my life, and to help unscramble my thinking. And all these years later, I'm the beneficiary, and everybody else that I've been able to help or minister to or be a friend to, they're the beneficiaries of what that person invested into my life because it's, it's a, it will set you up to fail if you've got great pain going on in your heart and you're trying to cover that and mask that with your Facebook or a constant smile on your face or a mask that's not really who you are. So I really say to you this morning, see a counselor, see a pastor, a Christian counselor, a pastor, someone, a trusted friend that is wise and can help you process this. But you've got to begin first by being honest with Jesus. Are you tired? The Bible says, listen, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Now stop and think about that. 
That's an interesting phrase that Peterson used there in translating this. Burned out on religion. Because like we looked at last week, some people try to use God in the way they want God to do things rather than humble themselves before the Lord. You will burn out on religion if you try to be the Lord of the Lord. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then finally, the fifth reason I think people fail is a failure to know what to do with what they know. A failure to do. You've got knowledge. Look at me for just a moment. You've got knowledge. You've got skills. You have experiences. And God wants to use those. This morning after the service, and I came in and to, to get my stuff after the first service, after greeting everyone, and to, to go back and to get some water and just kind of freshen up before this service, there was someone standing, there was a group of folks standing here. When I passed by, one of them shared their age, and I turned around and I looked, and I said, there's just no way. And I wasn't being flattering. It just kind of took me off guard. And I said, there's just no way. And they turned around and said, oh, yeah. And then as I was walking around the platform, I thought to myself two things. They are blessed to look so young. Would that we all had that gift. But that explains how much they know and how wise they are. Because if we're smart, as we get older, we get brighter. But some people just kind of stay stuck where they're at because they don't know how to do with what they, God has given them. So my prayer for you this week is that you will pray what James 1.5 says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Read that with me out loud. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Stop. Isn't that interesting how the Holy Spirit inspired the writer about wisdom to say generous? When we think of generous, we often think about money or finances. But when it comes to wisdom, God is willing to share. When it comes to your, look at me, don't miss this. When it comes to your life experiences, be willing to share. When it comes to a good book, be willing to share that. When it comes to a, a network, be willing to share your network. You're being like God when you learn to be, you're learning how to use what God has given you. So if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So before we move on with this message this morning, let's look at one more passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20. There is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. Look at me. Failure is not fatal. Don't overstress your failures. God is a God of grace and mercy and love. Can you say amen? That's exactly who he is. Number two, God doesn't want me to wallow in remorse when I fail. He wants me to repent. God doesn't want me to wallow. Now, when I was writing this week and just finally pulling everything together, I've told you before, all my family were farmers. We had what you call a hog wallow, and I don't know if you know what a hog wallow is. In the first service, only two people with everybody here knew what a hog wallow was, but hogs can't sweat, and in South Georgia, you have to build, if you're raising hogs, you've got to build a place where they can just get in the mud and wallow because that cool mud helps cool them down in that heat. It's probably one of the reasons why they love Michigan so much is because we have so much cool weather up here. We have all those feral hogs up north. But down south, you'd have, to, you'd have to put these places, and you could smell them. Nobody built their house close to a hog wallow. Nobody wanted to have to do what I had to do occasionally, and that was 
during the heat of the summer when it would get dry, you would have to go to the wallow and you'd have to hold a water hose and you just have to pour water in there until it got good muddy again so the hogs could wallow in that mud and cool off. And I don't really mean to be crass, but I just want you to get it. Those things stunk so bad, it would literally curl the hair in your nose, okay? So you got the picture now? There's all of this going on. So God says, I don't want you to wallow in your failure and regret and remorse and beating yourself up. I don't want you to be like a hog. I want you to repent. To repent is to turn around. Now, I can still hear my dad and my uncle saying occasionally, listen, don't wallow in feeling sorry for yourself. Don't wallow in regret. Or they sometimes they say they're just wallowing in their misery. And the image that brought up to me as a youngster was this. Here was a person living like a hog because rather than moving on with their life, they got stuck in their regret. They got stuck in feeling sorry for themselves. They got stuck in their failure and their life was beginning to stink because they were wallowing rather than moving forward. Does that make you remember a Bible story about a son who started out so cocky, so confident in life? I don't need God. I don't need my family. And so he leaves his family. Now listen, and he ends up, starts out great, makes lots of friends. His money runs out. He finds out who his true friends are. No one. And he ends up in a hog wallow. And he's in the hog wallow wishing he could eat. I have never been to that point in my life. And I've had some pretty colossal failures. But he was wishing he could eat what the hogs had. And finally, the Bible says, he came to his senses. Say that with me. He came to his senses. Say it again. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. He got out of the hog wallow. He repented. He went back home to his father. To repent means to turn around, to do a 180. He went back to his father. You could smell him long before you got home. And as he's coming down the road, his father sees him. He runs and grabs him, stink and all, wraps him up and calls for a shower, a hot bath, fresh clothes, the visa card, that's the ring on his finger, and he throws a party. You see, God does not come running to the person who wants to wallow in their failure. He comes running to the person who gets up and comes running back to him. Draw near to me, the Bible says, and I will draw near to you. So what is that saying? The prodigal, Peter, they were all restored to what God had for them originally. My failure is an opportunity to grow in God's grace. My failure is an opportunity to grow in God's grace. Look again, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he jumped into the water. Don't run from Jesus, run to Jesus. If you fail, if you sin, if your business fails, if whatever, don't run from God. Look at what Francis de Sales said. He who is fretted by his own failings will not correct them. All profitable correction comes from a calm and a peaceful mind. Now, if I could illustrate it like this for just a moment. Imagine if I had a colossal failure and all I did was sit around like this. The cells is saying what the Bible says. As long as I sit around fretting about it, fretting is not learning from it. Wallowing is not trying to pull a lesson out of it. Wallowing is not looking at where I went wrong. As long as I sit there wallowing in it, I'm not going to move forward. 
But if I get up, look at Jeremiah 8, 4. If I get up, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? And when they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? A few months ago, I preached a message on resilience. This is resilience. That when you fail, you don't wallow in it. You repent. You go back to the Lord. You figure out what happened. Why Was the strategy wrong? Was your skill wrong? You know, did you have the wrong attitude? What happened? Then you go back and you start over. Number three, my failure is an event. It happened to me. It's not me. My failure is an event. It's not me. I've had these conversations with people who failed in business. I've had these conversations with people who've gone through divorce. I've had these conversations with people who have failed in their testimony, their witness for Christ. I've had these conversations with people who have flunked out of college. I've had these conversations so many times. And this is what I've said to every single one of them that I say to you. Your failure doesn't define you. You learn from your failure. You never let yourself be defined by your failure. If I was to open up my life to you this morning, it's full of failure because if you're going to try anything for the glory of God, you're going to fail. Failure produces innovation in our life. If something doesn't work, you just start all over again. I will never forget the time Becky and the kids and I went to Greenfield Village, and we went up into the Thomas Edison lab and the Menlo Park area there and, uh, at his lab at Greenfield, and I asked the guy, did he really fail this many times on making the light bulb? Let's just say it was 10,000 times. He says, oh, yeah, and he kept saying that each time he learned another way how not to make a light bulb. Friends, that's resilience. That's not giving up. Your failure doesn't define you, but you learn from your failure, and you move on. Who do you need to go to today? Now, stop for a moment. Who do you need to go to today and say to them, you can make it. You can turn around. You can move ahead with your life. Nathaniel Hawthorne, he failed at his business. He failed at his work. He got fired. And he came home to his new wife, and he said, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know how we're going to be able to support ourselves. And she looked at him and says, Nathaniel, you've always wanted to write. Now's your chance. Nathaniel Hawthorne is the one who gave us such great American literature like the Scarlet Letter that most people in America know about. There's another failure in the Bible. His name is Samson. Samson failed spectacularly. Samson was one of those started out life great. You remember God gave his parents a promise for him, told him never cut his hair because he's, he's going to be a Nazarite, which meant that there was a vow not to cut his hair. God made him supernaturally strong. He would defeat armies with the jawbone of a donkey. True story. I mean, one time he was took the city gates of a city, massive gates, and he carried them up. Samson was the envy of every kid in town. Everybody wanted to grow up and look like Samson. And yet Samson became cocky because he began to trust his strength more than he trusted God. And he became enamored with the world, and he became enamored with a relationship that led him away from God. And he exposed the secret of his strength and he found out what so many have found out. The world may promise you so much, but all the enemy ever does is steal, kill, and destroy. And when Samson's hair was cut off, that sign of having 
renounced his trust in God, that sign of having renounced his vows. There's so much more to that story than hair. Hair was not magic. It was about Samson's attitude and Samson's life. The Philistines were upon him. They gouged his eyes out. They chained him to a, a grist mill. And I had this picture in my mind because we, we grew a lot of sugar cane and we would grind cane for, making, uh, for the juice to make cane syrup with. And the mule would just go around and around in circles and as we would bring the cane in and he would grind that cane and that juice would come out and we'd be making syrup over to the side. And here's Samson, he's just going in circles, round and round, no eyesight, no eyesight at all, just going round and round, but something happens and it's, it's cryptic, but it's not cryptic. If you, un, if you look at the story the way God wants you to see it, the Bible says in Judges chapter 16 and verse 22, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Remember, it's not the hair. Samson was repenting. Samson recognized what had happened. And as Samson is going around, he's praying, Lord, I blew it. I'm sorry. I mean, this was a colossal mistake. It may have been a fatal mistake. In the meanwhile, the Philistines have gathered for this great celebration. They're happy about his failure. They're celebrating his failure. They, they have a coliseum that will seat 5,000 people, according to archaeologists. And they start chanting, bring out our number one enemy. Bring out Samson that we make, make sport of him. And so they bring him out and they put him between two pillars that supported the whole temple. And there Samson prayed to prayer. He says, Lord, Give me the strength now one more time so that I, can take, I can, can take down this temple upon your enemies. And the Bible tells us the story of how that Samson pushed those pillars apart. He defeated more of his enemies in death than he had ever defeated in life. It's not the happiest ending, but look at me. Don't miss this. I would rather you end up in your very last breath succeeding than wallowing in your failure. Because when Samson decided to repent, God got him off that circle of wallowing and put him in a place where he could bring glory to God's name. I want you to hear me this morning. There's only one thing that I really, really, really want for every one of you in here. My children, my wife, my grandchildren. For those of you watching online, I want to be such a good pastor to you that one day you're going to hear the Lord say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That one day, prayerfully like me, like Becky, like you, that our good works for Jesus will survive the fire and come forth like gold and silver and precious stones and not be consumed like wood, hay, and stubble because we've learned in advance what to do when we fail. And finally this morning, my failure will put me in a place where God can use me. My failure will put me in a place. Every time that I've had a failure, whether it's been in ministry, whether it's been in something I've tried to do business-wise, every time that something has failed, I've just taken that to the Lord in prayer and said, God, what do I need to learn? How do I need to humble myself before you? What is it that I need to take away from this? 
And every single time I have not felt, and I felt from people sometimes, but I've not felt from the Lord, nor have I found in his word any condemnation. But the Lord has helped me to process that. God has put people around me each time to help me process it. And though some people may say, oh, I can't believe we did that. My uncle, who owns banks, who owns mills, who's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, my uncle who's been uber successful, he told me one time, he said, Denny, you'll never accomplish anything if you're not willing to take big risk and fail spectacularly. He said, if you're willing to do those two things, you'll accomplish something. And so friends, God is not in the business of beating you up when you fail. God's harshest words, listen, God's harshest words are for the people. They've got experience. They've got talent. They've got strategy. But they're so afraid of God, and they're so afraid of the judgment seat of Christ, they go into the backyard, and they dig a hole, and they bury everything. And then their thought is, at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be able to dig it all up and say, here, I was so afraid of you. You were so powerful. You were so omnipotent. You were so great. I was so afraid of you that I hid it in the ground. But here it is. I, I, I didn't lose anything. Here it all is. And Jesus' words to those people are not kind. Because you see, the people who fail to try because of fear are failures already. God calls us to do something. So how's, what's the secret? My success comes when I abide in Christ. Look at John 15 and verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. We talked about this last week. To abide means make your home. Make your home. We didn't grow grapes, so I don't know a lot about growing grapes other than what I've read. But I know with grapes, they're constantly pruned back. I've been to Napa Valley, and we went to a winery in Napa Valley because I wanted to learn about wine and how they made it in the grapes. And while we were there, they asked me, the man was so kind, he said to me, he says, well, we'll make you a good deal on altar wine. And I said, well, that's very kind. Thank you. He says, what product are you currently using? I said, Welch's grape juice. And he goes, well, that's a very fine product, and we moved on with our tour. But every time I have read about grapes, they go through a severe pruning so they can be fruitful. God will take my failure. Now listen, God will take my failure if I let him, and he'll do a pruning in my life. Maybe it's one of those five areas. I haven't realized that maybe I'm not as respectful of other people as I should be. Or maybe my confidence has been more in my network than it's been in him. Maybe it's been in my education. But God will do a pruning to that failure, and I learn from it. But I won't learn from that unless I abide in Christ. And like the prodigal, when I decide to quit wallowing and I come home, now don't miss this, this is important. When I come home to Jesus with a colossal, stinking failure, he wraps me in his arms, and I realize, listen, to abide in Christ is a safe and a happy and a joyful 
and a fulfilling and a victorious way to live. That's what it means. Erwin Lutzer, great pastor in Chicago that's retired now, who interviewed a couple from our church for one of his books, said, often we assume that God is unable to work in spite of our weaknesses, mistakes, and sins. We forget that God is a specialist. He is well able to work our failures into his plans. Look at that. He is well able to work our failures into his plans. Would you read that out loud with me? He is well able to work our failures into his plans. Read that again. He is well able to work our failures into his plans. Now, you read it out loud by yourself. He is... Do you get that? Your mistakes, your sins, your failures. God's able to take them. And maybe Pastor Lutz's word, maybe my words are not a word enough for you. So let me give you God's word. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God, if you'll run to him, not from him, when you fail, will make everything work for your good and his glory. Can we say amen? Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you today? I'm going to pray from 2 Timothy 1.7, and then I'm going to just pray a prayer blessing over you as well. Father, I thank you today. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. We can live boldly. We can take big risk, Lord. God, we can do that because we know that you hold us. And whether we succeed or whether we fail, Lord, all we're trying to do is to use what you've given us for your glory and to bear fruit for you. God, I pray that not one person listening today online or here in this church will ever be so fearful that they don't try, Lord. God, I pray, don't take away what you've given to us and give it to the person that has 10 because we refuse to try. You've given us power and love and self-control. Help us, Lord, not to see you through the eyes of a lie like that wicked servant who judged you. For you are speaking to us through this message today. We can live boldly. We can take big risk for your glory and honor. Now, before I pray the prayer of blessing, maybe you've never, ever given your heart to Christ, or maybe you used to live for Jesus passionately, and you're like this prodigal son. And you've been wallowing. Maybe you're like Samson. You've been just going in circles. God is still with you. God's never forgotten you. And he's using this message to call you back to himself. Don't miss this. Don't say this is good for somebody else. You're here in a divine timetable. Whether you're here on campus or you're online, you're here in a divine table, timetable. God loves you. So would you run to Jesus this morning? 
And the way you do that is through prayer. So would you join me in prayer? Let me pray, and then you pray after me, and just pray out loud with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to take my sins, to die in my place, and to give me his life. I don't understand it all, but as much as I can, as much as I understand, as much as I'm able, I give you my whole life today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to do what I'm going to ask everybody in the sanctuary to do. Would you just lift your hands up to the Lord and just close your eyes and receive this blessing from the word of the Lord. This is from Psalm 73 in verse 26. Father, I bless our congregation and those online as well. I pray your word over them that their health, that their spirit from time to time may fail or grow weak, but you remain the strength of our heart. You are ours forever. God, you have been good to us, and it is good to be near to you. You are our shelter. And from this day forth, whether we succeed or whether we fail, we will be careful to declare to everyone the wonderful things that you have done. Now may the Lord bless you, smile upon you, and send you forth in his peace today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.